Well, good morning, everybody. All right. Well, we're, hey, we got some like empty seats down here in the front. Is there anybody needs an autograph? Come on up to the VIP section right here, right? Bunch of Baptists filling in the back row. You ever notice that it's front of the rock concert, front of the airplane, front of the bus, back of the church? You ever notice that? It's like you're all in a hurry to leave or something. Well, hey, I'm glad you guys are here. Hello to all of you joining us online as well. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Whew, Easter's over. We can all breathe. We had a great crowd here last week. Thanks for uh, being here last week, and thanks for in, uh, inviting people to, to join us. As always, uh, the week after Easter is like always like a, woo, you ever notice that over the years? And then it picks back up, so. Well, we are starting a new four-part series today called The Ultimate Lifestyle, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 for the next few weeks. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me there to the book of Romans. Romans is in the New Testament. It's about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. Church, if you see somebody needing some help, please help them, okay? Hopefully you picked up an outline as well. If you were to ask me, what I think is the single most important chapter in all of the Bible, I would tell you that it's probably this chapter. If you were stuck on an island in the middle of the Pacific, and if you could say, Pastor Wayne, I, I'm allowed to take three pages of the Bible with me, what should I rip out and take? It would be this chapter. Now, I know, I know that there might be some disagreement out there, you know, but, you know, it doesn't matter, because I'm up here and you're out there. So I get to be the one to decide. All right. Now, the truth about Romans chapter 8 is it is completely loaded with deep theological truth. There is so much in there that it can teach us about God and who he is. And so to really give that chapter justice, I could take a long time. But Mother's Day is coming up in four weeks, so I only got four weeks. And so I thought we would, uh, we would do this and it would still be a good fit for us. So I hope you enjoy it. So you guys ready? Buckle your seatbelt. We're fixing to blast off, all right? Hopefully you did grab an outline on your way in. It's, you can take some notes. You can scan that QR code with your phone. Follow along with me. And uh, the verses are there in your notes as well. All right. So you guys ready? At the top of your outline, it says this. Many Christians misunderstand how God responds to them when they sin. As a result, they avoid God out of fear and find it hard to feel close to him. So today's message is going to speak right into our life and help those of us who are believers now understand who we are and understand our position in Christ. And so if you are not a believer, at the end of the message today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Christ into your life. Because here's the deal, church, when we begin to understand who we are and our position in Christ then our relationship with him becomes a much more freeing and deeper experience. So there are so many people out there I've talked to over the years. Maybe you have too, and maybe you are one of these people. But people look at God and honestly believe that he is some kind of a cosmic killjoy. Seriously. Like he's out there getting ready to pounce on you and squash you like a bug. You know that spider in your garage? You know what I'm talking about. That, that's what God's wanting to do with you. 
Truth is, that is not a biblical picture of our Heavenly Father. God loves us. He is for us. And he wants to set people free from the bondage of sin and death. Folks, the Lord is the hero of the story. He's the rescuer. He's coming in to save the day, to save us from the evil one who's trying to do everything that he possibly can to confuse you and to keep you inside of slavery and bondage to sin and death. So as we look at Romans 8 here, let's begin at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So as you can see, these verses can be a little bit of a, of a tongue twister and a mind spinner. Like, wait, wait, what, what, what did it just say? So we're going to go through it a little bit, piece of the time. We'll slow it down. We'll break it down into some bite-sized morsels. So verse 1 here says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in your outline, you can see the first question here, Roman numeral number 1. What is condemnation? Now, the easiest way that I have found working in ministry over the last 20 years to talk about this is to talk about it in the realm of a feeling. Because oftentimes when we sense condemnation in our life, it's being driven by some kind of feeling that we're experiencing. And so you see in your notes, there are three of them. And hopefully you'll kind of connect with this. The first one, letter A, is you feel guilty. And that's this. You got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, right? The powdered donuts are all gone, and you know what's around your lips, the powdered sugar. Mm-hmm. It's not chalk, all right? You've been busted. You are straight up guilty. So we all know how that feels. It's no fun. Let her be. You feel fear. So not only are you guilty, but now what's this, right? Wayne, when your dad gets home, you are going to get it, sir. Am I the only one who kind of knows what that feels like? Okay. And my parents are watching online, right? And so (laughs) I will just tell you, there was nothing fun about that. So you feel some fear out there, and it's, there's this kind of this emotional connection with fear and with punishment, and it kind of goes together. Letter C in your outline is you feel self-rejection. This is the one that I hear the most working with, uh, with church folks. And this is the emotion that kind of says this, there's nobody who loves me. I'm such a disgrace. How could God love me? He doesn't know what I've done. He knows, Okay. I've done so many bad things in my life. I'm just not worthy of acceptance from him or anybody else. It's this whole idea of self-rejection. And so if you're a believer in Christ, I'm talking to professing Christians here. 
If you've ever felt any of those three things, guilt, fear, self-rejection, that somehow God is coming for you, he's going to get you, he's going to punish you, he's going to squash you like a bug and just beat you down for what you've done. If you feel that, listen to me then, you do not understand Romans chapter 8, verse 1. God does not want you to feel those three things, congregation. And here's why. If you look at that verse, Romans 8, 1, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Scripture says what it says. It means what it means. So congregation, put that truth into your pocket today. Let me give you a little bit more context of what's going on. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's in the city of Corinth at this time. It's 57 AD. And chapter 7, right before chapter 8, Paul is expressing how human he is. I know sometimes we think of him as being superhuman, but he really was just one of us. So here's Paul. He's identifying his struggles, and he's doing everything that he can do to live for Christ and serve him. And chapter 7 is going to flow right into chapter 8. But in chapter 7, in verse 15, It's not in your notes. He says this. I don't understand what I do. For the things that I'm doing, I don't want to do them. In fact, I hate them. And those very things that I hate that I don't want to do, yep, those are the things I keep on doing. Anybody identify with that? Okay. And just a few verses later in 24, he says this. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this? So seven... Is all about Paul's struggle. Then it rolls right into chapter 8. We're looking at that today. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul says, Therefore, there's the connection to chapter 7. There is now no condemnation. For who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. So he connects the two thoughts together. Are you tracking with me today, church? Okay, good. Now, the next part of your outline. Is part of the application and what I want you to do this week. And this is my prayer for you today, and, but I, that you will internalize as a believer what your position is inside of Christ Jesus. Truth is, as many Christians just do not get this. And if you can see it, if you can understand it, if you can get it, there is an amazing amount of freedom that you will begin to experience in your relationship with Christ and you'll be able to set your heart at rest. So Roman numeral number two, truths to set your heart at rest, letter A, is the reality of freedom. And you can see the buzzword here is there's no condemnation. Because this is what we've been saying. If you're a believer in Christ, this this guilt, this fear, this self-rejection that as you perceive God, it should not ever exist. Because the fact is this, Jesus has already made you as a believer free from the law of sin and death. That's that there's no condemnation part, okay? That's the reality of your freedom. And now we're going to see why, letter B, the reason for freedom. The buzzword here is justification. Ooh, spicy word. Look at verse 2 with me. Because through Christ Jesus, the law 
of the Spirit who gives life has set you, say it with me, church, he set you free. Now there it is, freedom. Freedom from what? It's right here in the text. Say it with me, church. Freedom from the law of sin and death. So there's a justification. I know it's a big Christian word, right? But all that it means is being made right with God. And it has nothing to do with you and what you've done. It has everything to do with Jesus and what he has done for you. This is what releases the believer from bondage to the old sinful nature, to the penalty of death. And as you see in verse two, now for non-believers, the law of sin and death is still there. But when you put your faith in Christ and you bow your knee to him, then all of that changes. And if you remember from the Easter story, we kind of looked at Easter last week across the world and it was on the news and all the TV shows and all the stuff. You, you saw, the I'm sure, the crucifixion scene. Jesus is up on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because church, at that moment, it was at that specific moment that God was placing all of the sins of humanity onto the Lord Jesus. Past, present, and future. All of it. And they were nailed to the cross. And so Jesus got what we deserved. Death for sin. And we got what he deserved. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Freedom. That's the amazing truth. That is the reason for your freedom, letter C in your outline, which is the root to freedom. And the key word here is substitution. And this has to do with the substitutionary atonement and the work of Christ where Jesus died in our place because he was our substitute. And look at verse three again with me, if you would, please. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. And so you can see it right there. This is probably the most succinct verse in all of the Bible that talks about the substitutionary atonement of Christ for our sins. The trading of places between Jesus and all of us. And so if you are a believer in Christ today, you have freedom through what Christ has done. You are free from the bondage of sin, free from all your bad habits. I mean, whatever it is, it's just all sin. You are free from it. And it's not something that you need to ask for over and over and over again because you've already been given it. You just have to see it and then live it out in your life. You all with me on that? Okay, letter D in your outline. The result of freedom. Another Christian term here. Sanctification. As my New Testament professor used to say. I love that guy, Dr. Mobley. Sanctification. Now this is just a Christian term that means to be set apart. To be made holy. And in the quickest sense, 
because of Christ and what he's done through his work on the cross, that whenever a person bows their knee to Christ, they make Jesus Lord of their life, they ask him to come live in their heart, God sanctifies them. He makes them holy. So if you are a believer, guess what? You have been made holy. Congratulations. Yay! (laughs) I saw that on a video a few weeks ago. I was looking for an opportunity to redo that. Yes, you've been made holy. God just wants you to live it out in your life. Now look again at verse 4. All this was done, picking it up here, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but, what church, say it with me, according to the Spirit. There you see it. By living according to the Spirit. So that's the theological, how this all works together. Now let's get into the practical, all right? Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Okay, Roman Roman numeral number three. How does God respond when I sin? Now, not just me. All of us, right? Okay, I just want to make sure we're clear on that, all right? So not just me here, okay? So like we mentioned at the top, there's so many people who are so so confused about this and regarding, I'm talking about believers specifically, they just have an incorrect view of how God deals with us when we sin. So let's just get on an even playing field here. We all sin. Believers in the room, non-believers in the room, all of us, we all sin. The only difference is this. Believers are saved by God's grace. They've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. They've asked him to be the boss of their life. Non-believers haven't done that yet. They still want to be boss of their own life. That's the difference, okay? So when we begin to understand correctly, of how God responds to all of us when we, when we sin, we don't need to run away in fear like he's some sort of cosmic killjoy and said we actually run to God. Daddy! Right? When you get it, that should be your, your attempt there. Because God's arms are wide open. He sees you with love, with grace. He's got mercy. All of those wonderful attributes. So let's break down this part. Title of today's message is Living Without Condemnation. So how do we do that? Letter A in your outline. This is what no condemnation means. It means God does not reject me. I want you to get this, beloved. When you sin, as a believer now, God does not, he does not, he does not reject you. Now, I know you might be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Wayne, how can this be? I mean, I reject me, right? (laughs) That's because whenever you sin, you're sensing conviction, okay? And that's what the Holy Spirit does, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, right? His job is to let us know what we've done wrong, but that's not rejection. Two different things. I want you to look at John's gospel. You see it in your outline? John chapter six, verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, 
And whoever comes to me, I will, what does it say, church? I will never drive away. In other words, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what you do, no matter what you have done in your past, no matter how much you mess up in the future, God will never, ever, ever forsake you or reject you. You cannot get kicked out of God's family. Amen? I don't know about you, but that makes it so I can get up in the morning. Because the reality is, God loves me and he loves you. Period. Period. His love is unconditional. His acceptance of you is not based on your performance. It is all in what he has done for us through Christ. It is 100% based on our position in Christ. Now, you may not know this, but the, the New Testament says the words in Christ 167 times. And you might think, well, why does it mention it so much? Because God wants us to understand something. That our identity as a believer is in him. It's not anywhere else. And you will be surprised at how many people just forget about that. As a believer, when God looks at you, he He only sees the righteousness of Christ on top of you. He does not see your sin and all your failures and all your mistakes. And that is why the Apostle Paul says here in Romans 8, 1, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There used to be before you were a Christian, but now there's not. Let her be in your outline. God does not punish me. And I can already sense it right now. Some of you want me to argue this point, but you see right there in your notes, here's the reason why. Because he's already put it on Jesus. All of the punishment for our sins, and we absolutely 100% deserve it. He removed it from us. Placed it on Jesus. Up on his shoulders, while he was up on the cross. And for all you theology junkies out there, this is what we call the doctrine of imputation. Something to think about here now. If you actually had to be punished for your sins today, do you know what that would mean? That would mean that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't good enough. It wouldn't be sufficient. And you would have to die for your sin. It's not what scripture teaches, thank the Lord. Scripture teaches that Jesus could take those sins from us. That he was worthy enough because he was God in the human flesh. And what's interesting is in today's culture, there's a lot of people who don't equivocate Jesus and God being equal. But Jesus was God in the human flesh. Hear that congregation. He was God in the human flesh. He was worthy enough to die for us. And so God made the choice to punish him instead of us. All of it on Jesus. Why? Because he loves us. And the New Testament is full of verses that talk about God's love for us. Let me give you a couple. Here's one. Look at Romans chapter 5. 
Verse 18, you see in your outline. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Now that's referring to Adam in the garden. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were all done for because of that. Got to get that part. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, comma, verse goes on. So also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. Jesus died on the cross for all people. Here's another one, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered, how many times, church? Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's Jesus for you and me, okay? That's the substitution that we're talking about. And here's why. It says right here, to bring you to God. Amen. That's right. Amen. So you might be sitting there saying, okay, Pastor Wayne, I get it. I get it. Hey, this is sounding pretty good, but, but why does this even matter to me right now in 2023? Why do you even got to talk about this, my man? Well, here's why. Because I've talked to a lot of Christians over the years, folks, and I know some of you have too. And there's a lot of people who struggle with this. And I get it because I've been there too. And here's what it looks like. Something bad has happened, right? You or a loved one got ill. A loved one passed away. You lost your job. The car broke down, right? The transmission went out. The hot water heater has busted. The dishwasher broke. Whatever it is, and people think, man, I wonder what I did for God to be so mad at me. That's exactly what people say because that's exactly what people think. And hear me, congregation, that is not, it is not, it is not a biblical view. Bible says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this idea that somehow God is going to squash you like a bug, like where, like how does that draw somebody into a loving relationship with God? It doesn't. That's actually more like a dysfunctional, abusive relationship. Like you want to stick your head in there so you can get it thumped? Really? <laughs> I don't think so. Not me. So if we have this confused view of God, it's really kind of hard to enter into a sweet and loving and amazing relationship with him. And he wants to give his children good stuff. Have you experienced the good stuff of God? God wants to give it to you. God doesn't reject you. God doesn't punish you because he's already punished Jesus, so how else does God respond when we sin? Let her see. God does bring loving correction. Now, this is not condemnation. This is discipline. This is correction. Notice that it's loving because everything that God does is loving. It always is, always has been, always will be, because this is the work of the Holy Spirit today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation on this one. Here's what it says. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Now, stop right there. I want you to take your pen. I want you to circle the word forgotten. 
Because here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Because of sin in your life, your heart has grown distant from God. You don't sense him like you used to. You can't sense the work of the Holy Spirit going on inside. In other words, you've forgotten. You've drifted away. God hasn't moved anywhere. It's been you. And then he goes on to say, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. Verse 6, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Now, you might be sitting there saying, Pastor Wayne, didn't you just say that God doesn't punish me? It's exactly what I said. But this is different. Because in the original Greek language here, the term for our English word punish, it actually means to restore or correct a behavior. So it's not punishment like you might be thinking of like, you know, pounding, squashing, you know, just hard discipline. Boom, boom, boom. We've already talked about that. What it means is to restore a person. The Lord restores and corrects someone to help them grow in a positive manner. And if you've raised kids or if you're raising kids, you got to see that as parents, this is the proper way that Scripture teaches for us to discipline our children. You do it out of love. Not out of anger, not out of hate or any of those things. We're to give instruction to our kids when they don't comply. And when they don't comply, what do you do? Elevate the intensity a little bit. Right? And the whole purpose is to correct them and restore them and help them to grow into becoming a better human. Folks, that's exactly what God does for us. It's not about anger. It's about restoration. So hopefully you're picking that up. So when I sin, how does God respond? He doesn't reject me. He doesn't punish me like he's going to squish me like a bug. But he brings loving correction and discipline. Y'all got that? You with me, congregation? All right, now Roman numeral number four. So what should I do after I sin? That's a great question. It really is. And as believers, letter A in your outline, you need to do this. Confess your sin. All of us, when we sin, we have to own up to it. We have to take responsibility for it. We have to confess it. First John Chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, that doesn't mean beg. Oh, please, 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 Lord Jesus, I beg of you. No, it's not what that means. It doesn't mean bargain, right? Oh, Lord Jesus, I'll never do it again. I promise as long as I live. Yes, you will. You want to know why? Because you're a sinner. You're going to do it again. So don't be trying to play a bargain game with God. And it doesn't mean that you try to bribe God either, right? God, I promise I'll go to First Baptist and listen to that bald guy preach every single week. If you'll just... Yeah, that's not what that means either. None of that, right? We just own up to it. We just confess it. We allow the Holy Spirit to work on us as he brings the things that we've done to our attention. Hey, Wayne, your attitude was wrong. Wayne, your action was wrong. The way you responded was wrong, son. 
What you're doing right now is wrong. What you're thinking about doing is wrong. And we don't confess today the sins that we're planning to do tomorrow night. That's not biblical repentance either, right? What is repentance? It means to flip a U-turn, acknowledge that God is right, and walk the other way. That's what it is. Letter B. Acceptance. Oh, I'm sorry. Accept forgiveness and forgive yourself. And this is the hard one, everybody. This is the difficult one. Because this is where that condemnation that we experience, that we feel comes from. It's in so many believers' lives. You see, so many people who are Christians, they accept God's forgiveness, but they haven't forgiven themselves from their past. Maybe you know somebody who's like that. They just haven't forgiven themselves. Well, we gotta do that part. And because they don't, they just live in that place and that is not a healthy place for you to be as a believer. Take a look at 1 John chapter three with me, verses 19 and 20. It's in your outline. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we, and here is what's connected to Roman number two. Here's how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It may stop right there. So what is God's desire for us? For our hearts to be at rest. So no guilt, no fear, no self-rejection. Now look at verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, that's when we experience that condemnation feeling that we talked about. When our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. So the principle from this verse here is God does not want to live feeling all that condemnation stuff. He's greater than you may be feeling, congregation. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness. Now catch this. From what? Acts that lead to death. And here's why. So that we may serve the living God. So here's what happens, folks. People allow condemnation to just play in their mind all the time. And as I said last sermon series, right? Whatever has your mind has you. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs says. So if you let it, it will just like pound you and beat you down and you will feel like trash. But that's not how God sees you. And if you don't get out in front of it, it's gonna get you in the back end. And so God wants all of us to think right because our mind is such a very important component to our spiritual walk. We cannot serve the living God with all of our heart if we're too busy getting beat down by all that condemnation stuff that we possibly are feeling inside. So if you find yourself there in that headspace, I want to give you some encouragement. You're thinking wrong. With all the love inside of me, you're thinking wrong. It's not from God. It's from the other guy who's wanting to beat you down. 
That's not where God wants you to live, my friend. He wants you to experience, get this congregation, he doesn't want you to just know it. He wants you to experience his sweet, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to experience his mercy. He wants you to experience the abundant life that Jesus talked about. That's what he desires for you. So as you take your outline home this week, throughout this week, I just want to encourage you to spend some time meditating on Roman numeral number two. Those truths to set your heart at rest. Pray through them. Meditate on them. And allow those verses that we've read here today and, and those points there to just really sink into your life. Because my prayer for you is that you will live the ultimate lifestyle. The ultimate lifestyle that God desires for you. And that is this, knowing that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that when you embrace that reality, you will experience that amazing freedom that Jesus Christ gives you. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand and pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, Jesus, we just come before you right now saying, thank, Lord, thank you. Thank you that your grace is so amazing. Thank you, God, that your mercy just blows us away sometimes. And thank you, Lord, that your love is so large that we just can't even imagine this. And God, through your amazing grace and your mercy and your love, Lord, you took the weight of all of our sin onto your shoulders. Doing what we deserved, but you took it because you loved us. So God, where we're at this morning, all we do is we just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. And congregation, if you're here this morning and if you've never gone across the line and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I just want you to know that there is no condemnation for you if you choose to be in Christ Jesus. You might be asking, well, how do I do that, Pastor Wayne? It's real simple. You just need to admit and confess that you are, are a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus, that he died and that he rose again. And so if that's you this morning, just in the silence of your heart, repeat this prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you came, that you died, and that you rose again. I believe you carried the cross and bore my sin. So, Lord, today I repent. I confess you as Lord and Savior. Come live in my life from this day forward. And if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to know you have now moved across the line. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus for you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this day to worship you. Thank you for your grace. Be with us now, Lord, as we lift you up in praise. And we talk about your greatness and we sing about your greatness, Lord. And we sing about your love. Because it's your gifts to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.